1: so nice and upright. <laughs> Sometimes this is like... <sniffs> <laughs> <laughs> Somehow the rain's perfect. <laughs> you know, it's like this like energy that's like starting to build and then the rain comes in, it's like <laughs> moistening the earth and putting us back on it.
0: <laughs>
1: um, so I'll begin This talk on Prajnaparamita with a poem uh, by one of my favorite uh, West Coast poets named Gary Snyder. Um, It goes like this Go ahead, you be a Bodhisattva, and I'll be the taxi driver driving you home. (laughs) Go ahead. You'd be special. (laughs) And I'll be the person growing your food. Go ahead. Uh, You'd be a bodhisattva. And I'll be uh, cleaning up after you when you go to bed. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful poem? You'd be a bodhisattva. I'll be the taxi driver driving you home. So... um, This practice is nothing special. We start to see that our thoughts are empty, everything we make them into, and the practice is empty too. So don't hold on to any special feelings that you have, because they change. So uh, thank you everybody for showing up for so many days. Did you think you'd make it this far? (laughs) And also to the circumstances that have allowed us to to be here. Uh, For some of you who've really been open about learning new forms and embodying those forms. Um, And also to all of us who stayed with a practice that sometimes is really, really peaceful and sometimes it's a complete disaster (laughs) (laughs) I hope that one of the takeaways is that meditation is a physical practice it's a somatic embodying of practice and it's unfortunate that we always use the word mind and mindfulness because it makes it seem, in our culture, that the practice is happening up here. But now you know. (laughs) But that's not true. When you sit, it's really important to track your thinking just enough that you know it's there. So that we train, so during the day, uh, we don't give our thinking, our habitual thinking, so much authority And then you can trust in a deeper wisdom, in a deeper level of your heart, in a deeper intuition. So sometimes you should ask yourself when you're tight is this really necessary? (laughs) Can I hold this a little differently? Is this mine? Am I separating? And then think about snakes. And how, when you walk on the road around here, you see the old skin everywhere of snakes. And how they grow and they shed all this skin. They don't need green smoothies. or retreats but we do (laughs) when we grow we need to shed and one of the paradoxes of this practice is that if you just sit there and feel your body in the present moment and don't separate from the present moment you start shedding all this extra stuff that you've been (laughs) adding onto the experience and haven't sometimes even seen ever so mindfulness means not solving your problems it means having the ability to mourn and it means being able to be in the present moment without believing all the commentary you have about the present moment and then your heart begins to awaken and then we end up in the sixth paramita, Prajna Paramita. Now, I don't know why we say Prajna. And I don't even know why there's that squiggle on top of the end. Because I don't know who put that there. I think it's just like a word doc error. Because I'm sitting next to Caitlin, who's American. So every time she says, Prajna, she pronounces it like in Spanish. Like pranya Or something. Like a piñata. Because <laughs> this is what Americans do to English.
0: <laughs> they just like
1: turn it into whatever they want it to be. Uh, pra is where you get the English word Prior. And it means a before. And gnia is where you get the word uh, gnosis, and eventually where you get the English word knowledge, acknowledge. I'm sure there's like an American city where they say acknowledge. (laughs) Some weird place near like Brighton Bush or something. (laughs) So, prajna is usually translated as wisdom. But the way I translate it is uh, knowing before knowing. The knowing that you have before you know. Like when you said, you know. You know before you know. That's what we're training in. So in a way, sometimes I like to think wisdom or prajna or knowing before you know is about taking what you know because all of us should be as educated as possible about as many different things as possible. But then to be able to take all of that knowing and just put it to the side so we can change our mind. Yogis are so into flexible hamstrings and shoulder joints, you know. But actually, most of your problems are not in your hamstrings, they're in your relationships. And the troubles in your relationships have everything to do with your inability to take what you know and just put it to the side. Every morning, we chant the Heart Sutra. And the Heart Sutra is a commentary on this Paramita, on this teaching. It begins with Avalokiteshvara, Bodhisattva. So, a Bodhisattva is uh, somebody who's awakening beings. And Avalokiteshvara means one who hears loka, one who hears, so loka is the world, one who hears the cries of the world. So, there's a Bodhisattva whose job their job is just to hear the cry of the world she's hearing everybody's tears she's holding everybody's tears and some uh, sculptures of her which you'll find even around this this space she has a vase where she actually collects your tears all joyous tears Embarrassed tears, shameful tears, sad tears, tears of grief, tears of rage. She collects them all in her vase, and then when it's full, she pours it back into the ocean. Where all your tears came from. So that's her practice. She's taking in all of your tears. So Avalokiteshvara, Bodhisattva, is doing really deep wisdom beyond wisdom and Shariputra is the, the best student in the Buddha's Sangha Shariputra knows all the teachings inside out but comes to Avalokiteshvara and says how do you do such deep Prajnaparamita in other words like all the teachings Shariputra's learned, the texts he's mastered and so on isn't enough there's something still needed and Avalokiteshvara says to Shariputra no I mean yes but no in other words it's not a no that means no it's a no that's bigger than no that actually means yes like you can't say yes unless you say no does that make sense?
0: <laughs>
1: like when you sit and you feel your breathing and you feel your body, after a while, you start to feel this sense of, after a couple of days, that if you don't pay attention to the image that you have from memory of the surface area and the outline of your body, that you start to realize that sensations are happening. But they're not actually happening inside your body. There's just sensations happening in awareness. And then your brain maps this body. And then language says, it's my body. It's not just the body, it's my body. And now all these sensations are mine inside my body. Do, can you see that a little bit when you're sitting? Everyone's had this feeling, you know. So the Heart Sutra is just saying, no body. Everything that you think of as your body? Actually, no. It's not that. And your ear, you think your ear is hearing all those sounds? Well, like, where's your ear? Are the sounds happening, like, inside? Or are they happening out there? Where is the location of hearing? And the heart's just saying, no, no. Do you understand this? No. It's a no that's like, yes. Like, look more closely. Yes. The teaching is that all of these things that we, think of thing, are, that we think of as things are empty. They're no. They're empty. They're empty of an eternal truth. They're empty of uh, rigidity. And they're empty of self. It's not that things don't exist. It's that they never exist the way we think they exist. Or the way I think about it in my own life is that nothing exists the way I insist it exists. <laughs> when you breathe, it's really good to feel that there's no one breathing. What a relief, you know? And when you bow, it's really beautiful to feel that there's nobody bowing to nobody. When you listen to other people, it's really nice to listen to people and not refer everything they're saying back to yourself. That's like a whole practice, you know, right there. Listen to people and when they're speaking don't refer everything they're saying back to your own life. Except when I'm speaking.
0: <laughs>
1: when you give imagine that the gift that you're giving never belonged to you. That's a really good practice too. Whatever you have to give, whatever you've inherited, whatever your skills are, whatever you're good at, none of it belongs to you. A few years ago, uh, my brother and I went to go see uh, Ravi Shankar play with his daughter, not the piano player daughter but the other daughter um, at a place called Roy Thompson Hall in Toronto. Beautiful theater you know, where the symphony plays and um, I don't know how many of you know Indian classical music but it's like it's improv. Their version of classical music is like really far out and um, so the concert was amazing do you know when you go to a concert and everybody in the room just feels it And at the end of the night, the place just got up on their feet, and it was just a standing ovation. But it was like the fastest standing ovation I'd ever seen. It was like the last note, and everyone was just up, you know? And Ravi Shankar was so kind of taken by this, so he stood up. And then he put his instrument down, and then he just started clapping and it was just going on and on and he was just clapping and then he turned around and looked at the instrument for a while and he was (laughs) clapping and he was taking in all of this joy for the music and never once did he bow he never said thank you he never took any of the appreciation personally it was just that the music was amazing that night and another night uh, maybe it wasn't Mm -hmm. Like when you go see ballet, at the end of a ballet performance, they come out and they bow, then they go back again, then they come out again and say thank you, thank you, and they bow, and then they go tippy toe out, and then they come again. And they, have you ever, do you know what I'm talking about? And I don't know what the tradition is, but it's like 40 times. They get, and like, I'm just like, can we go out over the place now? You know? But like, bowing is longer than the performance. <laughs> So, the Paramitas are teaching us like, whatever you think of as generosity, go beyond that. Whatever you think of as patience, go beyond that. You wake up early in the morning to sit still, and your mind is filled with, oh God, there's so many things I need to do. Like, go underneath that. Don't believe that. You smell something, and it reminds you of someone you used to know get into like a whole fantasy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like feel that, and like don't believe that. Come back again. And that's why the end of the Heart Sutra, Gatte Gatte Paragate, Parasangate Bodhiswaha, is chanted at funerals. If you ever know somebody who, knows someone who died, when you send them an email, at the end of the email you should say, Gate gate, paragate, para sangate bodhiswaha. Which means gone, gone beyond, gone beyond, beyond. Amen. That's what it means. Gone, it's gone. Gone beyond. And then whatever you think that is, it's gone beyond that.
0: Yeah.
1: And then it's gone beyond whatever you just thought that was. <laughs> And that's why the Heart Sutra at the end, it's like, okay, if you didn't get all the stuff we just taught you, then just chant this chant. Gone, gone, gone beyond. Gone, beyond, beyond. And uh, there's a really interesting translator named Kaz Tanahashi. And he claims that the word gate is a predecessor of the English word gate. And it actually could be translated as Arrived. Arrived, arrived, really arrived, really, really <laughs> arrived. Which kind of works, doesn't it? I'm not sure actually, but I like the idea. In the tradition that the Buddha grew up in, there was a teaching called Svabhava. Bhava is to become, Swa is a self. And the teaching was that the core of the self is not subject to change that the core of the core of who we are isn't subject to conditions. And it was also called Atman, which means a self, or the soul, or the seer, or whatever language you use. But that kind of spark in us, that's the soul, that doesn't really change over time. And the Buddha thought that this was uh, not true the Buddha thought that if you sat really, really still and you just paid careful attention to your experience, like an honest phenomenologist, then you'd see that everything is continually changing. And that whenever you think that something exists, you're caught. That there isn't something inside of us like a soul or a self, that that's just a story we tell ourselves to make us feel a little more permanent in a radically impermanent world that's a little hard to grasp. Look closely for your soul, and the closer you look, the darker it gets. For the Buddha, everything was just conditions changing in time and space. And he taught this as not-self, anatman. That whatever you see, that's not-self. When the second council comes, remember I talked about that the first day? Mm -hmm. And they develop this idea of the bodhisattva vow. They change this teaching. And what they say is, the shift is, instead of teaching anatman, that what moves through us is not self, they start teaching uh, shunyata instead, emptiness. The Buddha never really taught emptiness. This comes with the Bodhisattva teachings. The word for emptiness is shunyata. And it's interesting because the word shu means swollen. And it's actually where you get the word pregnant. So if you were trying to describe somebody who was pregnant... Um, when I do interviews with people, I close my eyes, and then when they come in the door, I open my eyes and take an inhale, and whoever's there, it's like a surprise. So, that like, a, there's no—it's like a total surprise. So when Sarah came in the other night and she sat down, I opened my eyes, up and I said, "Your boobs are so big."
0: <laughs> I did, yeah. <laughs>
1: And then then I said, don't tell anybody I said that. (laughs) And then I said, but your face isn't fat yet. (laughs) Glad this is being archived. Everything that we experience is shu, is swollen. It means that everything is so swollen with life and so swollen with everything else that there's no thing at the core. There's no core because the core is everything. You see? Your anger has no core, your anger is conditions. Not having a meal, not enough protein, too many emails, stress, reactivity you internalized from your mother, like whatever, right? Like all these conditions and there's a moment of anger, right? But the anger doesn't have a core. You you see, this is the teaching of emptiness, that whatever you look at, don't be so convinced of the realness of what you see it's just conditions arising and changing your body's like this you look at your body does anybody do this ever? you shouldn't do this too much stand in front of a mirror and you look at your body and you think holy shit (laughs) this is not going the way that it was supposed to go
0: (laughs) No one
1: ever said it was going to go like this. (laughs) There's a wonderful poet named Sharon Olds who describes her 50th birthday. And she writes a poem about it. And she says, um, what is it that doesn't stop moving when I stop moving? it's a poem about her looking in the mirror when she turns 50 and she's like it doesn't stop moving when I stop moving (laughs) so this is all to say that life are these conditions arising passing away that are changing and we take them so personally so the teaching of um Emptiness is that there's no self there. There's no thing there. It doesn't matter if your academic mind comes in and says, Is there a self or is there no self? The point of the self not self teaching is grasping. Seeing how all grasping is always used to build up a sense of me and mine. Prajna is the ability to honor that we have this these habits that are me and mine, and that are psychological you know, and physiological, like I like cotton more than wool, Beyonce more than Kanye, Lord more than Adele to also see that those are just preferences and simultaneously to see that all of that's constructed moment to moment and just to not grasp so tight and things go so much better if you notice this <laughs> so This is going to be a long talk. (laughs) Our anguish and our distress um, is not bad because bad things happen. Our anguish and our distress is bad because they happen to a narrow sense of self. You see When bad stuff happens, for a much wider sense of self, it's not so bad. In other words, most suffering is just built into life. Our goal in practice is not to get rid of suffering or to get over suffering. There's suffering. But our practice is to be able to work with suffering. And part of working with suffering is that when it emerges it emerges in a much wider field rather than this narrow, narrow sense of self that really isn't too flexible. And you can feel this in retreat and you can feel this when we're on this kind of land. The best thing about practicing with trees and goats is that you can feel the trees and the goats practicing with us. Goats are chanting all day. If you listen closely, you can hear, "gate." <laughs> so to illustrate um, this teaching of Prajnaparamita, Going beyond what you know. I wanted to share uh, some more stories about Zhaozhu, who taught everyday mind yesterday. Do you remember that? Like yesterday? <laughs> One day, Zhaozhu was sweeping the floor, and a monk said, How come there's dust? Zhu said, It comes from outside. The monk said, In a pure monastery like this, how could any dust get in? Mm -hmm. Zhaozhu looked in front of him at the dust motes floating in the air and said, Oh, there goes another one. Do you want to hear it again? Mm -hmm. One day, Zhaozhu was sweeping the floor. A monk said, How come there's dust? Zhaozhu said, it comes from outside. The monk said, in a pure meditation hall like this, how could any dust get in? Zhaozhu looked in front of him at the dust floating in the air and said, oh, there goes another one. One of the most important teachings I find in this tradition is that there's no real distinction between inside and outside. Also, the distinctions between purity and impurity. Not so strong. One day, Zhaozhu was sweeping the floor. Listen closely. A monk said, "How come there's dust?" And Zhaozhu said, "It comes from outside." The monk said, in a pure monastery like this, how could any dust get in? And Zhao looked in front of him at the dust motes in the air and said, oh, there goes another one. Every moment, something arising, something passing away. We all want to call it right or wrong, inside or outside. Oh, this is pure and this is my practice. I'm calm now.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> My reading of this story is that Xiaoju um, is making fun of the student. The student's really into like, oh God! I mean, isn't this like really pure? And I'm supposed to be really calm. It's like this is how I feel in interviews when people come in and they're like just not, like I'm just thinking so much. And I feel like saying, oh, there goes another one. <laughs> 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 one time a monk asked Zhao what's the path? Remember the word for path is Tao. What's the path? Zhao Zhu pointed to the path and said, It's just outside the gate. Can you see it? The monk said, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about the road outside. (laughs) I'm talking about the real path, the great way, the Tao. Zhaozhu said, the great way runs right through the capital. Want to hear it again? Listen this time. <laughs> a monk asked Xiao Zhu, what's the path? Xiao Zhu pointed to the path and said, it's just outside the gate. Can't you see it? Do you get his technique a little bit? He's like, it's right here. It's just outside the gate. Can't you see it? <laughs> the monk said, no, 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 no. I'm talking about the real path, the great way, the The Tao. Zhao Zhu said, the great way runs right through the capital. Life here in this space together is really simple and really sweet. You listen to these Dharma talks, maybe you have some inspiration. You sit, maybe you have some calmness. And it's important we all feel this. And I think it's really important we feel this with other human beings. But after a while, you also see that this is no different than our practice in cities. This is no different than our practice in the capital. This is no different than your practice at home. All roads go to the capital. All roads go right through the capital. And this basically means there is no escape from the world. There is no escape from the craziness of our world and the insanity and the greed and the confusion that's not just out there but it's here in every single one of us and that's why our practice emphasizes care we need to stay engaged as caring people as caregivers as caretakers. To live a life of silence is to contribute, for sure. But most of us, we're not monastics. We become monastics for a week or two or three every year. But uh, we're doing other things. To cuddle with a little kid is to contribute to ride a bicycle is to contribute every one of us has different karma and so we need to care in a different way based on your position in your life right now to chant is to care To pray is to care. I pray every day for the 50 people who were killed in Orlando and the 53 people who were injured. I feel like in some way that's contributing also. I was so upset by that tragedy. I didn't know what to do. So I just thought, I should just call every person I know who identifies with that community, those communities, and just say, how are you doing? And not say, oh, I'm feeling really upset. And just like, not share how I felt. And instead just say, how are you doing? And then I remembered that even though it's 2016, and it seems completely ludicrous that in so many places, gay men cannot give blood. So I thought, OK, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go give blood.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's nothing special. And so all of us can operate this way. You don't have to have some like, big idea of like, how to change things or how to respond. Just tune in to a situation. It can be so small. And then you create a space. And then when you create a space, you become an ally. For people who maybe don't have space, or don't have a voice, or don't even know what their voice is, yet. Yet. And this is called nonviolence. So, Prajnaparamita is nonviolence. Prajnaparamita is nonviolence because it's learning to take what you think in a situation and put it to the side. So you can actually take in the situation. Does that make sense to you? When British colonizers came to this land, they treated first nations people like they did not exist they treated the land here as if it were empty land unsettled and then they encountered indigenous people and cougars and bears But the humanity of these indigenous people was never recognized. And the ancient and very sophisticated cultures that were indigenous to these lands was also not recognized. So Saanich, Cowichan, Chimena's First Nations use of this land dates back More than 5,000 years. I'm talking about this land, actually. This island. More than 5,000 years. Until 1859. And then in 1859, Salt Spring uh, became uh, part of the colonial lands of Vancouver with no land sale agreement. Then there was a war with a lot of blood. And now there is a collective between the Cowichan and Chimanus First Nations trying to settle land claims on this island from those times. After that, in the 1870s, this island um, was 50% black Because uh, black folks from San Francisco thought that this would be a safe place where they could live like other human beings. And then they were displaced by Australians who came here looking for gold. And over and over again, the humanity of the indigenous populations here were nullified. And I think that to not see the humanity of First Nations people is the great sin of the founding of this country. So why am I saying all this? Because it's so beautiful here. And there's also so much blood here. And part of our duty, I think, as Dharma practitioners setting up places where we can practice here is to be open to that legacy of harm and also simultaneously for us to become indigenous to land. To know how seasons work, to know how to grow food, to know how to care for forests, to know how to care for each other. But that's all a little bit idealistic. (laughs) Because the truth is we make treaties and then we break them. If we can learn from the violence of our past, then we can learn how to do the hard work of change, which is to stop othering human beings. Whether they're queer Latinos in Orlando, Syrians, our trans brothers and sisters, or even just family members who we just can't seem to forgive. All over the world indigenous people are being disappeared into hospitals and mental institutions Why? Because we need forests and we need mine land and we need more uranium for nuclear power plants in India. And we tell ourselves stories to make all this okay. I tell myself stories to make this okay. But if we're learning bodhisattva practice in this country, then we need to honor a deep sense of humanity, which means honoring the humanity and the rights of all other people, which means we need to share our wealth and our privilege, and also to recognize that all this stuff that we have that keeps reinforcing our wealth and privilege none of it was ours none of it was ours so as you can see from your own heart this week human beings are so many things we have compassionate hearts that can do extraordinary things And as I said at the beginning of the week, the heart is your capacity for imagination. That's your Buddha nature. Putting yourself in someone else's shoes, reimagining who you think you are in any given situation. If your kid throws up, you immediately put your hands out. (sighs) I would not do that for any of you. (laughs) but we also have this capacity to run away and to other what we're scared of or what we don't understand so my talk today is a plea and a request which is to treat your practice as a practice of not turning away not turning away using your Somatic ability to take in what's actually going on. To choose to see and to feel what's right in front of you. And what's in you. Because we have a culture that systematically shuts down carefulness. And breeds carelessness. But we're not consumers, and we're not careless. Look how everyone has organized their shoes. That's not just a metaphor. So our task, if we have any task coming towards the end of this retreat, is to build communities that really honor caregiving. And I'm not going to be naive. This is hard as hell. But hard as hell is not the same thing as impossible. And huge social shifts have happened from doing things that are hard as hell. And then once in a while, there's a connection between human dignity spirituality, and the law. And things change. And we can do it again. And we are doing it. And it's our sacred duty. And if there's no distinction between inside and outside, then there's no distinction between the personal work you're doing on your cushion and a larger social change that's happening um, in and around us. So that's why practice is never one thing. There's a way out. And there's a way to be free. But it's not a path of transcendence. Uh, The way out is love. Because a path of love is a path of inclusion. Helping other people belong, even sometimes helping other people just belong to themselves. Russell is a doctor in a community where the lineups will never get smaller. So, how can you not burn out? The system is a disaster. The lineups are so long. And here he is on retreat, settling himself, so he can go back in there and actually meet the people in front of him, not the lineup. Aside from being a very inspiring human being um, and married to a really cool guy, uh, Jesse here, does really good education work with such a diverse group of people and sometimes she tells me about like all the creative ways she's working with people, and not just like normal people but like really crazy stories you know? and like breaks my heart and opens my heart at the same time. It's amazing. When you help people belong to themselves, then you're doing bodhisattva work. And then you start to see that all roads run right through the capital. One time a monk asked Zhao what's the path Jia pointed at the path and said, it's just outside the gate. Can't you see it? So many ways to tell the story. <laughs> you idiot.
0: <laughs>
1: no, no, no. That's not the path I'm asking about. I'm asking about like the real path. How many of us still have that fantasy? Oh no, no, like the real thing. Like okay, that was the meditation retreat, but now like I really want <laughs> The great way runs right through the capital. So the capital, whatever that is for you, um, needs us now more than ever. So please support this community any way that you can please support uh, your own community whatever way you can but what I don't want you to do is to think I was part of a community for eight days there's no parts (laughs) there's no like community that you got to be a part of oh it was nice being part of your community like you are the community. And it's impermanent. It's pop-up. It's a pop-up sangha. (laughs) Let me end with a poem by Leonard Cohen, who um, wrote this as a tribute to his teacher. Some of you might know that... uh, Leonard Cohen's spent a long time doing the same practice we're doing. I never really... Un- oh, so this is a- about his teacher. I never really understood what he said.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but every now and then I find myself barking with the dog or bending with the irises or helping out in other little ways. One more time. I never really understood what he said. But every now and then, I find myself barking with the dog, or bending with the irises, or helping out in other little ways. Patience. ethical conduct that comes from mindfulness of the body generosity sharing, giving, receiving balanced effort the meditation of everyday mind right here and now we end with prajna but all of this is leading to the simple practice of just trusting that you know before you know. That's the source of our humanity. And then how do you express that? paramita. <laughs> right? How do you express wisdom? Giving. <laughs> and we're back at the beginning again. So we decided to... Uh, Start the retreat over. (laughs) Tomorrow is day one. And the conditions might look a little different, but uh, we keep going. So thank you.